0: Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. Every year we throw away four and a half million tons of perfectly good food with a total value of 14 billion pounds. Bread and potatoes are the most wasted foods in the UK. And I just couldn't believe this fact when I looked it up for this episode. The UK throws away a staggering 20 million slices of bread every day. That's a million loaves a day. Thankfully, this waste is reducing and there are many amazing companies reducing food waste with redistribution or to make new products. Louisa Zan is co-founder of Toast Ale where she's brewing up tangy-tasting toast ale using waste bread. Louisa, welcome to First Mile Climate Heroes and thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Bruce. Great to be here.
0: Great to have you, thanks. So bread was first made in 8,000 BC. Beer was first brewed in 4,000 BC. Sliced bread was invented much later in 1928 and beer first canned in 1935. But it wasn't until 2015 that Toastdale came along, blending these ideas and turning bread into beer and popping it into lovely recycled cans. What took you so long?
1: (laughs) Well, actually, humanity has been doing what we're doing for a very long time. So actually, those original recipes for beer used bread. Um, So the ancient Mesopotamians used to bake the grains um, which cracked those open and then um, used natural yeast they were fermented into a drink which was probably more like an alcoholic porridge Uh, you wouldn't recognize it if you ordered it in the pub today Uh, but it was the very earliest uh, beer so we were just bringing back what we have been doing for many hundreds of years.
0: So, I suppose this old art uh, just needed modernizing um, and dragging into the modern era, and that's what Toast Ale is doing.
1: Yeah, and I think actually, you know, a lot of the solutions already exist. We didn't used to have um, the attitude that we have these days to wasting food. People really valued food. The technique of fermentation is like the oldest way that we have of preserving food, and we've been doing it for such a long time. But we've kind of lost this appreciation for um, how difficult it is to grow and produce our food and kind of lost that attachment to both nature and the industry um, itself and so just devalued it over time Um, so yeah I think it's really important that we we don't necessarily need you know incredible new innovations all the time to solve the problem sometimes it is about looking back to how we did things before.
0: And so how does it work then because it's obviously you're tackling this enormous issue of food waste and it's just phenomenal how much food waste that we manage to waste and that's food that can be consumed not potato peelings and things like that this is actually edible food that we seem to be very good at wasting in the west so are you are you going around to people's houses and collecting the the ends of uh, the, the the waste bread and the heels of, of people's bread how does it work
1: yeah, no, not, not quite. When we started the business, um, I did literally phone around uh, a whole heap of bakeries in London um, to ask them if they had end of day surplus loaves that we could collect um, and use in the brew house. Uh, now we actually work with much bigger bakeries um, and sandwich factories and we take the, their surplus loaves and also from the, the from the production line for the for the production of sandwiches we take the heel end of the loaves that would otherwise not be used to make sandwiches so it's a much i mean bread is wasted at this industrial scale and um so for us to um, make it efficient from a business perspective. We ha- we're we working with those bigger partners. But we do open source a recipe on our website. So if people have surplus bread at home, as well as turning it into croutons and bread pudding and other things that you can do, um, including ice cream, apparently, you can try home brewing um, and do that at home.
0: So it's a weird cultural thing, isn't it? I mean, I know when we were children, we always used to get told to eat the crusts or the heel or the hoof. We, I think we used to call it the hoof or the heel, I can't remember because it put hairs on our chest but my sister definitely didn't ever look very enamored by that sort of appeal but we seem to have this sort of cultural problem with eating the end of a loaf of bread is that the same the world over or is it just a sort of a a, a UK thing that we can't seem to manage to eat the end of a loaf of bread
1: oh you know it's funny because when we talk to people there are so many people that say i eat the crust i really enjoy the crust and actually you know it's the best part for some of the things you might want to use it for but yeah a lot of a lot of people don't it kind of ends up either left in that bag of bread until the packaging is ready to be thrown away and, and sometimes you know people don't even manage to finish the entire loaf um, and so it's not just the crust ends that are thrown away in people's homes unfortunately but yeah we we can freeze bread um, we um, also offer other techniques to preserve it such as once sourdough for example has dried out you can just sprinkle it with a little bit of water essentially when it goes hard that's all that's happened the water has left it um, so sprinkle a bit of water and heat it and it will bring it fully back to life but yeah I don't know somehow we have got into this habit of discarding what you say is like the heel of the loaf as um as not the main part of the the bread that we're purchasing but then also you know some people cut the crusts off from around the the slice as well um and i've seen even there are companies that are selling loaves of bread that are crustless so the crust has already been removed and uh yeah which just seems completely crazy um you know not only is that a huge amount of waste of the crust but also then the bread is going to stale much faster
0: so maybe the uh the 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 person that invented the bread slicing machine in 1928 they've maybe maybe it's all their fault they've got a lot to answer (laughs) for
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, that, that's one part of it. I think, you know, but whole loaves are wasted as well. So a lot of the bakeries that we're working with are baking to forecasts that they have from uh, their brick. Big grocery customers, and when they get the actual orders in, the orders are, tend to be different to the forecast. Um, they can't short on those orders, so bakeries are already baking in um, an element of overproduction. So there's waste that's happening at the bakery level before it is even getting into retail, before it's then even getting into our homes. And that, that is the bread that we're we're taking actually. But you know, a lot of that has this whole perfectly fresh and delicious loaves
0: so I I quoted my fantastic figure at the start of a million loaves a day or 20 million slices of bread wasted every day in the UK what proportion of that is pre household if you like the sort of the the heels that are coming off in sandwich factories the the production waste that you'll potentially have access to
1: Uh, Well, well, that figure of 20 million slices is, uh, I think it's from RAP, um, and it's just from household food waste. And we know that, yeah, um, probably about looking at uh, food waste statistics as a whole, um, uh, we don't have it um, exactly for for bread. um, But it looks like about half happens, 70%, uh, 50% to 70% happens in the home. So that again is wasted uh, in the production side, um, in hospitality, in retail. You know, So even more than twenty minutes per day.
0: So there could be another sort of potentially half a million to a million loaves of bread per day that are also being lost through the commercial sector, bakers' waste, etc. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately.
0: Which is um, phenomenal. Interestingly, my immediate sort of I went culture bread France because they've got an amazing uh, culture of fresh bakery. Google, so it must be true, said uh, that 15% one five of bread manufactured or baked in France was baker's waste. 15%. Does that sound like a lower number? And maybe because I sort of on the one hand, you think if you buy something uber fresh like a baguette it's only going to a shelf life of a day, but you are buying it fresh on a regular basis. And so maybe on the one hand, you might think there's more waste. On the other hand, you might think there's less because people are buying it to consume. Have you looked at that market at all?
1: Uh, We haven't looked at France um, specifically, no. Uh, We're very focused in the UK um, at the moment anyway. Um, But I think there is certainly something about the difference between small-scale bakeries and then large industrial bakeries. You know, small-scale bakeries are just a little bit more in touch with the, uh, and also they're kind of you know baking for themselves and then selling directly to, to their customers. Uh, so they tend to be a little bit more in touch with d- directly with demand um, and how that's affected by things as simple as the weather, you know, that if it's raining, people won't go down to the bakery to pick up a, a loaf of bread. So um, they're able to then adapt um, because also bread that's baked by those small bakeries it's not just about the ingredients that are being wasted um, and the cost associated with that it's also the time uh, of the baker and the love that those bakers are putting into every loaf you know it is a an artisan craft artisanal craft to produce those loaves and it pains bakers to have to throw their creations away at the end of the day
0: and What's your? We get get back get back to beer and ale. What's your best selling ale? Toast ale. What's the best seller? Uh,
1: our lager is definitely the most popular beer, and yeah, we have a low alcohol one at the moment as well. Uh, a low alcohol version of our lager uh, that uses a lemongrass, so it's uh, slightly more, I would say, delicious than some other low alcohol beers. Lots of a really nice flavour profile to it, so that's doing quite well at the moment. Um, as we are currently in a drier period post
0: Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely and so right we've got toast lager how many slices of bread in a pint of toast lager?
1: It works out about a slice of bread per pint.
0: So a slice of bread per pint and then we have our big sandwich maker let's say taking off the heel as they pump out sandwiches for Marks and Spencers or somebody how does that slice of bread get into that delicious can or pint of lemongrass-infused January low-alcohol lager
1: so I said we work with bakeries and uh, the sandwich industry. Um, from the sandwich industry, uh, the way it works is that they um, they often actually are buying in loaves that are already made by other bakeries, um, and then those packaged loaves are, they end up at the beginning of a conveyor belt, where there is a person that is loading the slices onto the belt, uh, that then goes down the conveyor with other people adding ingredients uh, before they're packaged up and at that very beginning stage of the process that person is segregating those crusts into a container to keep it separate at the beginning Uh, those slices are then packed up and then uh, sent to our brewery partner. On the bakery side, it's just the whole loaves that are actually air dried in the bakery. Uh, So we're trying to take out a lot of the moisture that's baked into the bread, which makes it much more efficient from a brewing perspective. It helps to, to also preserve the bread for longer um so that we can store it and and use it so it's it's uh, dried at the bakery and then uh, sent to our our brewery partner and then in the brew house we so typically to produce a beer you would use malted barley and then and that is the source of carbohydrates source of sugars uh, for the beer Um, that is seeped in warm water in what's called a mash tun and the sugars are released from typically the barley, um, to create a really quite delicious, actually what they call a brewer's breakfast, um, a malty sweet drink. That liquid, uh, what's called the wort, is then um, taken into another tank where um, it's boiled up with hops. The hops bring flavour, aroma, and also an element of preservatives as well. And then the resulting liquid from that goes um, through conditioning tanks and into a fermenter where the yeast is added, and the yeast then gobbles up all of those sugars that we've originally put in from the grain and produces carbon dioxide, so the bubbles in your beer and, uh, and alcohol. So all we're doing is replacing about 25% of the malted barley with surplus bread, so replacing one grain with another wheat instead of barley, and getting out those sugars from the bread, uh, which will ultimately become beer.
0: As simple as that that's amazing so it's literally just swapping out one grain for another.
1: Yeah I mean there's a little bit more technical considerations in there and a few challenges in the brew house because the bread does behave differently in the tank um, and can cause a lot of headaches but yeah uh, the basic concept is fairly simple.
0: Uh, Yeah basic. I was going to ask what the challenges were because it's sort of like you've got something that's quite processed and perhaps a bit lively in a brew tank versus a sort of more grain that's closer to the field and does that cause sort of different speeds of reaction and and, and sort of problems in the process that you sort of have to try and keep a lid on? Yeah,
1: so the the main challenges are really accessing the sugars and uh, so within malted barley there is an enzyme called amylase which breaks down the complex carbohydrates into simple sugars. Um, We still need to have that enzyme to break the sugars down so we can't brew wholly with Bread, and then yeah, the other challenge. So there's that that element of uh, getting the efficiency from the brew process in terms of the sugars. The other aspect to bread is, um, and why we bright, why we dry it at the uh, bakery, is that um, it does otherwise kind of absorb water, and that means that you can end up with getting less liquid out of the process, so less beer and so overall the efficiency of the brewing then is reduced um, and can cause some real headaches for the brewers where you end up with what's called a stuck mash with the grain kind of clogging um, the systems and some pretty heavy digging work required to get it out so we've spent quite a long time perfecting the method of drying um, even down to you know the specific size of the the ultimate crumb that ends up going into into the beer that's the, those are the main challenges for us. For bigger brewers, there are other challenges around like how you even add the bread to the tank. Uh, a lot of them have grain silos. And so there's uh, adjustments that will be needed to the brew house to, um, to enable that to even just get into the tank in the first place.
0: You're sounding like a master brewer.
1: <laughs> I'm definitely not the master brewer. Uh, we have Stuart, uh, Stuart Robson, who uh, has 40-plus years' experience in the sector, and I leave all of that to him. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. And this is probably a highly contentious question, but does wheat make better beer than barley, or is barley making better beer, or have you found the perfect the perfect symbiotic grain mix at toast?
1: Uh, so a lot of brewers do use wheat as well um, it helps with things like the the head on the beer but yeah it's a it's a, an art to getting that combination of barley and um, of the malted barley and, and the wheat from the bread correct um, so that you are still getting all the lovely tastes from the malt well. So malts are uh, roasted to different um, specifications to give different flavors to the beer so it's finding the right combination of the bread and the malt and it's slightly different from each different beer style as well so adapting that to, to suit the taste profile.
0: First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.co.uk, to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. And then presumably you're taking out 25% of the barley Intake from the process, and that means we've got a a lower burden on uh, land use, less impact from growing that barley in the first place.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so for beer, barley is probably the biggest um, uh, environmental impact um, from carbon perspective, but also, as you say, from from a land and water perspective. Um, So. Uh, what we are doing is reducing our take on the environment. So this is where the circular economy comes into its own Where Linear systems are reliant on extraction of uh, virgin natural resources um, and then waste at the end of the stage. The circular economy looks at how we can do more with what we already have and avoid waste at the end. So by reusing bread that has not um, been going to be eaten um, we not only prevent that bread from being wasted but we also take less barley um, and all of the land water and, and energy implications that that includes.
0: And this is good because this brings me on to your absolutely brilliant impact report on your website, and I, I definitely recommend any listeners to check it out. Cause it's it's makes a really good read and really well put together. And there's a whole there's a lot of info in there, a lot of stuff that you're doing to have a really super positive impact. But we've taken a loaf of we've taken the slice of bread, we have made it into a delicious lager. What's the biggest impact you're having across that process? Is it the offset barley production? Is it reducing bread waste have you measured that and what's the sort of single biggest impact that toast are having
1: yeah so i mean our biggest direct impact is by preventing bread waste um and and therefore um demonstrating to the not, not because toast is a very small business we're six people you know micro sme uh, so what we're doing in a sense is also demonstrating to the industry that these solutions exist and that uh, yeah, and how it, it can be done. So our direct impact is by preventing bread waste and, um, and reducing barley use. And then all of our profits go to charity as well. So um, using those profits to try to support systemic change. Uh, so we work with a charity partner feedback who have for many years campaigned to uh, change industry practices and regulations that incentivise or allow food waste, uh, enable food waste. They've also expanded over the past few years so they'll have a much Broader remit around the food systems, but initially it was very much about food waste, um, and then other charity partners as well to try to enable them to lead systemic change to reduce overproduction, ideally in the first place, so that we're not having to deal with with waste at the end. But yeah, then I think that's that's kind of what our direct impact. Then we look at our ripples beyond that, and that's where we uh, invest quite a lot of our time into collaborations uh, with both other breweries you know our own sector but other brands and NGOs to look at uh, how actually we can start to support and drive change more systemically.
0: You talk about business activism is that what you mean by business activism working with lots of different SMEs and almost having this sort of um, open source approach to run it to to impact and, and running a for purpose business?
1: Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, I think for many companies that are are, are or have become more conscious around environmental impacts, they have focused on ESG and um, looked at how they can avoid or reduce the harm that the business does. Then companies uh there are some that have set up as or are moving more towards much more impactful business models um so how they can actually benefit stakeholders and contribute to some of the solutions um, themselves. So so Toastdale is also a social enterprise um, and a really proud member of the social enterprise community. Um, There are about 100,000 social enterprise businesses in the UK. Uh, So uh, those are organizations that have a environmental or social mission and will reinvest at least 50% of their profits in uh, the delivery of that mission um, or, or donate it to charity.
0: Because I, yeah, I was definitely I was going to ask about this as well as in sort of the subject of, of governance because I think you give away all your profits to charity which is amazing you're a b corporation um, and, a, a, and a huge advo- advocate of the uh, b corp movement But you've also just recently closed a 2 million funding round. Congratulations, which is amazing. How do you square the circle of people investing if um, the profits are all going to go to charity? And how does that governance structure work? I think listeners are really sort of intrigued by that.
1: Yeah, so our our commitment is 100% of distributable profits. So um, we can reinvest profits into the growth of, our business and that is on the basis that you know we have set toast up to have a positive impact on the world and so we're already doing good with that money but we won't distribute dividends to shareholders we also established a model called equity for good where we ask our investors to make a pledge that they'll reinvest any net capital gains in businesses with an environmental mission or to invest in environmental projects that wouldn't otherwise happen and the idea behind that is that we don't want to create a huge amount of financial value by doing good as a business for that value then to have an opposing effect. So if that value then went to be invested in fossil fuels, for example. So it's we're trying to, I guess, extend the impact that we have um, as a business um, to more economic perspective. And yeah, we have closed a £2 million equity raise and bringing on board investors who've all committed to those same principles. Uh, For many of them, they would reinvest the the profits that they make uh, from capital gains into their organisation. So National Geographic, for example, is um, one of our main investors and they will um, invest in their foundation. Uh, to further the positive environmental work that they do, um, Heineken also have come on board um, as an investor, and yeah, well, have, yeah uh, so yeah, really uh, fantastic to have Heineken on board. Um, they've made the same commitment. Um, they are going to be working with us um, as part of their commitment to net zero. You know, they they're looking at a wide suite of actions that they're going to need to. changes they're going to make to their business Uh, but the circular economy is something that they are really interested in as well and so um, we want to be able to as we always have uh, with other uh, breweries to support them on on their journey as well
0: fantastic and and your sort of collaborations um, for a young and relatively small business is amazing and can you tell us a bit about the collaboration you did with the other b corps around the rise up series which sounded great fun
1: Yeah, that that was great. So we actually did uh, two different collaboration series in the lead up to COP26. So the first one was called Rise Up, and we invited uh, six other B Corps to work with us. Uh, We would produce a beer using their ingredients. Um, So we had some really interesting ones. Um, Well, all of them were absolutely delicious. Um, We had a lemongrass lager using lemongrass tea from Tea Pigs. Um, We had a chocolate stout using cocoa Uh, powder from divine chocolate we had a mango ipa um, i think secretly one of my favorite ones um, that was using surplus mangoes from both oddbox and a juice company Uh, so oddbox is um, a box uh, scheme uh, that supplies households with wonky fruit and veg um, and uh, a juice company called flawsome and yeah other businesses uh, rebel kitchen and cafe direct you've taken their coffee beans um, and and Hobbs House Bakery with their loaves. And for each of those different beers, we were telling a story about uh, the impact that the food system is having on the planet. We wanted to be able to break it down into, I guess, uh, pint size messages for people. So we talked about with the... Tea pigs, beer, for example, the oceans and the impact that the food system has on the oceans. And that linked with the work that tea pigs have done uh, around uh, making sure there was no plastic. Um, I think they were the first plastic free tea brand uh, in, in their tea bags all the way through to deforestation and the soil the rivers, our climate and, and biodiversity as well. And just really broke those uh, those topics down for people. Uh, we led, it was during lockdown, so we led webinars uh, with each of the brands and invited people to, to join us, to hear more. Um, and then we asked people to write to their MP as well um, to ask for the food system to be included uh, in discussions that were happening at COP26. And then all of the profits from those beers were, of course, also going to charity. And then the second collaboration we did was called the Companion Series. And that, for that one, we brought together 24 other breweries, each brewing a beer with surplus bread and then toast, uh, put two in as well. And we supported all of those breweries to use the the bread uh, in their brew houses that gave advice where needed um on the recipes and the technicalities uh, of the production side um and then together we all uh, wrote an open letter that was published uh, for to leaders at meeting at cop uh, to yeah have a united voice even though we are competitors climate and the climate and nature crisis is bigger than all of us and so it was really important that we came together and showed that we can put aside competitiveness um and and work together
0: fantastic and did you manage to get any toast ale up to glasgow for cop or not
1: uh, we did actually, I went up uh, to COP and did a panel um, at, on the on the fringes at Drygate Brewery where there was a, a few events happening and yeah, we had uh, one of our lovely beers there. Um, it was actually a beer that we um, had done with Business Declares and the CEE bill at the top, which as it was called at the time now, the Climate and Ecology Bill um, to raise awareness of those two campaigns. So yeah, the, our beers always have a story behind them
0: you must have a very heavy suitcase wherever you go having to take <laughs> <a memory. laughs>
1: yeah that one might not have been taken by me
0: <laughs> so Toastale, I, I, I mean every time I think about the name it's such a clever name Toastdale where did the name come from it's 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 just brilliant
1: oh yeah uh well we we had like, a team brainstorming session um before we launched the business we were actually uh, going to call the business companion at the beginning um, which is from the latin etymology of compan which means with bread it's literally somebody that you break bre- bread with but i felt that it was a little bit um uh, a confusing message to have to explain to people uh, the latin meaning of <laughs> brand name and toast just has that lovely dual meaning of not only the ingredients in the beer but also the positive story behind the brands the need for us all to come together and have some enjoyment um while we're tackling some of the biggest challenges that we face
0: so i'm 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 always guilty of doing this and i, I sort of remember about this time through the uh, podcast that we've talked to talked about toast which has been fantastic but louise we haven't heard a sentence about you how on earth did you uh, start being a wannabe micro brewer changing the planet through toast ale what was your story and how did you how did you get into this wonderful business
1: Oh, um, well, I started my career in financial services. I grew up in uh, quite a a low-income household. We we didn't have a lot of money. um, And I went to university, did a law degree, and was kind of determined that I would be independently financially sustainable. So I went down this very traditional path um, of working in financial services. But I realized that my heart was just not in it. I took some time out and traveled around South America, uh, I went out to do a, a charity project there um in the forests of Ecuador, and then just kind of yeah enjoyed my time traveling around meeting people and During that time, I did a lot of reflection, but I also you know saw a uh, a lot and heard a lot of stories from like the deforestation that was happening in the amazon um to the oil companies drilling um, and causing damage to the delicate ecosystems there and it was a few years after Al Gore had released Inconvenient Truth and I read an article in a magazine that where they'd interviewed him and he was talking about the role of business and I just realized that actually I had developed all of these business skills and that I there was a way of using it for good so when I came back I did a master's in environmental decision making and I joined the carbon trust as a um, consultant there and worked with lots of really interesting big companies um, on projects from carbon uh policy and carbon footprinting um one of my last projects was actually uh going out to mexico and helping the mexican government there look at how they could better support smes to invest in energy efficiency so really interesting work but i felt like i wasn't really getting my teeth into the action of it i was advising other people and so after i had uh, my kids i was freelancing I, i left carbon trust um after my maternity and freelance for a bit and was working at Feedback, the charity, um, and with the founder, Tristram Stewart. And Tristram had went out to Brussels and had met uh, the Brussels Beer Project brewers who had brewed a beer with surplus bread from their local bakery. And he'd spoken to them um, and they'd offered to come and show us the recipe Jamie Oliver's team had been in touch with feedback about um, another project they were working on around food waste. And so we pitched the idea into his team and uh, it suddenly all happened. He wanted to come and see a brew happen. Um, So Sebastian came over from Brussels. We found a brewery. Um, As I said earlier, I found bakeries that would supply the bread and we did a very uh, quick production of uh, our first beer of what has now become toast so it was a, a little bit of an accident to end up in the beer world but I'm loving it
0: <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so, wasn't some childhood dream to be a, a, a brewer And so, I mean, you've come a huge, for a small business, a huge way since 2015. And and the brand is really well known and had accolades across the sector. Um, So congratulations. Looking to the future, what does success look like for Toast? What's the top of the mountain that we're all willing you forward to achieve?
1: well we set ourselves a very what we call a big hairy audacious goal uh, when we set up of uh, rescuing 1 billion slices or preventing 1 billion slices of bread from going to waste um, i think when we maybe set that target we hadn't realized how big the number one billion <laughs> uh, but we set it and so we're sticking with it um, no it's a really good guiding principle for us um, we so far have rescued um, just over three million slices um, so really impactful but a long way to to go we are now looking at actually how we can um, use what we've learned and a- and help others. So you know, working with Heineken, for example, and looking at how they would—it would just magnify the impact. Even if Heineken only used a small proportion of bread um, in the in their mash tun,s um, it would be so much more um, than than we would do um so very collaboratively working with them and others um to use to use surplus bread and yeah maybe looking at how it can be used in other industries as well but very focused on that one billion slices of bread
0: so for our millions of listeners hello to you all um this is a great opportunity to plug the latest toast ale or toast initiative or how do we get our listeners on board to support your mission
1: Immediately, we have our low-alcohol lager out there for anybody that's not drinking uh, during January or beyond, but otherwise, yeah, kind of our beers are all widely available, Waitrose, Co-op, and lots of other great places, including our own web shop. The exciting thing that I'm working on at the moment is a taproom collaboration that we're doing with the coffee company Change Please. Uh, Change Please work to um, eliminate homelessness, um, supporting people in... Training and jobs, and then the charity—the uh, profits also going to to charities. Uh, so we're opening a space uh, that uh, will serve life saving coffee by day and planet saving beer by night. Uh, hopefully March that will be open. Um, so if you're in London, look out. followers us on Toastale on instagram and uh sign up to our newsletter um if you want to keep in closer touch uh by going to our website toastdale.com um and yeah we would love to invite people down for the big opening party for that
0: On this show, we're building a Hall of Fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So what or who would it be?
1: I would love to put in a beer, obviously, but I'm gonna go with something completely different. Um, So there's a campaign that I really love called uh, Make My Money Matter, um, and it's about getting people to green their pensions, um, which can be 21 times more effective than uh, cutting carbon than stopping flying, going vegetarian, changing your energy provider. Um, We have a lot of power uh, to change the system, by thinking about where our money is um so yeah that i will put that campaign there and you can read about it over a beer
0: so you're allowed to have two things uh in the hall of fame since one of them is a beer so a lovely <laughs> toast ale beer and make my money matter fantastic our second regular feature is um trying to encourage people to do little tiny things to change their habits for climate change and what new habits should we adopt and new little things that we can each take away and think about each day to help reduce our impact on the planet
1: there are lots of small things that people can do Um, you know everything from thinking about what we buy to actually whether we need to buy things at all Um, consumerism itself being part of the problem Um, and we do need to be spending less money on things, um, more on, you know, our, our experiences um, and, and kind of, yeah, in, enjoying our lives um, than clogging up our, our homes with um, more clothes and things that we don't really need. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, it's just having that, uh, that question to the forefront is of, um, yeah, how do we use our money to not contribute to consumerism but contribute to our well-being Um, and thinking about that a bit more consciously. But yeah, lots of really simple things we can do. I think for me, I would just say, though, that it's really important that we don't necessarily just think of it as an individual action and to think of ourselves more as citizens and part of communities and how actually not only can we have more impact by doing things with others, but we will be much happier um, as
0: well. Fantastic. That's a perfect place to end everybody everybody being happy louisa co-founder of Toastdale, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on first miles climate heroes thanks so much for being my guest
1: thank you so much for having me
0: i'm bruce Brightley and you've been listening to first miles climate heroes where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.